Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Rest in peace, Larry King. One of the great interviewers passed away a few days ago. We reposted my conversation with him, which was a little tense at the beginning, but then it eased into something kind of great. So if you're not familiar with uh, Larry in that way... As Larry talking about Larry, it's a it's a nice experience, and we do that here at uh, at the shop. We uh, repost the talks I had with people who passed away in in memory of them. Uh, it's it's not something I like to do, but it's something I'm happy to do, and it also reminds me of my own life experience of where I was, what I was doing, 2013, driving to Beverly Hills to talk to Larry King, who was upset with me because we had gotten the times crossed up i i thought i was on time he thought i was late but it's uh it's it's a moment in time and you know he will be missed but uh, no one can say he didn't live a full life it's always sad when people pass but it's a little more understandable when they're old as fuck but uh yeah today on the show i talked to george wallace the comedian probably seen him doing stand-up somewhere even if you don't watch a lot of stand-up he's he's been doing it everywhere for decades and uh, now he's got a, a, re- a renewed popularity because of his twitter feed he's got a new book out called bull twit and whatnot and uh yeah i'll talk to him sort of amazing i haven't talked to him yet he's a guy that started in new york he's one of these guys you know when you come up as a comedian one of the uh the things you deal with depending on the club if there's a club that's an old club that's been around for a long time there are a few comedy clubs that come to mind certainly the comedy store here in los angeles but like zany's in um nashville where there's just hundreds of headshots of people from back in the day and as a young comic and you when you work these clubs there were more of them back in the day the road clubs that uh, lasted through the 80s that have been there since the beginning and you just walk around looking at these pictures and you wonder, like, what what the... Who's that guy? What happened to that guy? I used to do a... <laughs> I used to do a joke about that. Uh, about the... 
about the comedy store when you walk into the comedy store. It's just like hundreds of headshots. The the gallery of sadness <laughs> where you, you play the game. Oh, yeah. Whatever happened to that guy? Probably ended OK. Maybe not. But whatever. But I just remember George Wallace's picture at the comic strip in New York. Another one of those places where it was just a strange black and white promotional shot of him as a preacher. And I always wondered, like, what was that about? So that was interesting to talk to him about about that. I don't know what's going to happen. None of us do. I know we feel better now that we've been released from this hostage situation, from this brain fucking that we've all had to go through, this toxic brain fucking and American fascistic swarm. But I, I do think I have to acknowledge, I don't know about you, but because of what I've experienced over the last year with the the death of someone I loved and the general condition of plague and Donald Trump's presidency is I, I believe that I, I am experiencing some PTSD and I think we all are and I think it's ongoing. I think we've adapted to this isolating life or to this lockdown life and whoever, you know, however many of you having to go to work every day and live in that, the sort of fear of that. Hopefully many of you who, who need it, who are vulnerable, who are older are getting the vaccine and feeling a little bit more safety. But there is a PTSD that we're going to have to get through, I think. I don't know how, I don't know where this goes, but I just hope you're taking care of yourself. I have begun a meditation practice that I've been told that I should do for years, but I've been doing it and I've added some yoga to it. Back in the day, not too far back, but in the last decade, I used to do yoga once a week, some hot flow yoga with Joe at the Hollywood YMCA. And I haven't done it in years, but I've, I bought a nice mat and I've got it right next to my bed. I get out of bed, I do a few sun salutations, and then I sit cross-legged and I throw on the Headspace app. And I don't know if that's... I, it's weird because I listen to that guy. Okay, take a few deep breaths. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth. Okay, he'll give you a little pep talk of some kind. Creativity is something we all want to do, but I can't quite do his voice. But I'm finding that uh, the guided meditation thing, you know, where you're supposed to like, if you have a thought, you know, don't get mad, whatever. Get back to your body, get back in your breath. But, you know, he's talking. Like, it gets to a point with guided meditation where you're like, I was right there. And then you had to, what, tell me to count my breaths. Count your breaths up to 10, in and out. One, two, three. Pay attention. It's like, I was, I was in it. I was right there. I do seem to get there after about 10 minutes of him. When he says time to open your eyes, I'm like, I just got in it. And now I've been staying in it a little longer. Again, I don't know what it does. I don't want, don't know what it's for. I don't know why, but I'm doing it because it can't fucking hurt. And God knows I have the time. And the yoga, I need to stretch because I'm compulsively exercising to maintain my sanity and I'm 57 fucking years old and I wake up and I feel like I'm broken. I feel like the entire machine needs fucking oil. I feel like, oh my God, is this the way it's going to be for the rest of it? So the yoga's helping, the breathing's helping, it's all helping. But it's weird, isn't it, man? It's weird. There's a, a creeping sadness still, isn't there? 
been watching some movies. I've been reading this book, watching the movies that the book is about, watched In the Heat of the Night. Uh, Sidney Poitier and uh, Rod Steiger, terrific Norman Jewison movie. Watched uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the Stanley uh, Kramer movie, a little difficult. Watched uh, Bonnie and Clyde, but Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn, wow. Spencer Tracy, holy fuck. His last movie, Drop Dead Before It Came Out, just stunning, just amazing. Bonnie and Clyde, I watched. Uh, the other two movies that the book's about are... Um, the Graduate and Dr. Doolittle. What is that book called? I, I, I'm so fucking bad. I, it pictures at a revolution. I don't know if I'm going to get to Dr. Doolittle, and God knows I've seen The Graduate a lot, but I'm, I'm, I'm nearing the end of the book, uh, uh, and it's sort of like he's bringing all this together. It's sort of a, you know, kind of talking about the shift in the business, but it's such great read and great to watch the movies. I also watched... Uh, What's that new movie? Promising Young Woman? Is that what it was? Promising Young Woman? Promising, yeah. With uh, Carrie Mulligan and my former Glow co-stars are in it. Chris Lowell, Allison Brie. It was, a, it was a heavy movie. It's a disturbing movie. It's a dark movie. It's a powerful movie. It delivers uh, a punch at the end. It's kind of sad but uh, satisfying. But I do not know why you would take that story personally and sort of couch it in kind of an Id, indie comedy framework or, or a slight campiness to it. You know, this is like, because like sometimes if you, if you make a film that is heavy, I mean, this is a, a, a real examination and, and revenge tale about toxic masculinity is that what if, what if you had played that straight in the way of like, what if you had just a, approached it as, you know, a, a real, a human story without kind of buffering it with this kind of indie campiness. I don't know. I'm not saying it's a bad movie and, and I, and I was satisfied at the end of it, but I don't know if I'll, I'll remember it in the way that I would remember. Like there's a, like there's an old Clint Eastwood movie that is similar in theme called sudden impact, which, you know, really delivered a message about um, female rage around helplessness in the face of abuse um, and the most toxic of the masculinity, you know, rape, murder. And, like, I'll never forget it. And this new movie, uh, Promising Young Woman, is great. It's well-performed. But there's a sheen to it because of the indie campiness that I wonder if it undermines uh, the power of the story. You be the judge. I'm just talking. Little movie review. And and like a movie review, I, I enjoyed it. It delivered. It was satisfying at the end. But those are my issues. And it doesn't matter. Watch it. See for yourself. All right, listen. George Wallace. His new book is Bull Twit and Whatnot. It is available at georgewallace.net. And uh, this is me talking to the comedian George Wallace. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure 
pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Can you see me, George? I see you very well, man. Of course I do. Thank you so much. Where are you at? At ATL. I'm in Wakanda. Oh, really? You're down in Atlanta? Yes, sir. That, is that where you come from? I'm born raised in Atlanta. Yeah. Born, uh, and I'm right now, my condo is one mile from where I was born. So you, oh, so you're living down there. Well, I live in New York City and I live in Las Vegas and I live in Los Angeles. Do you actually have, you own places in all those places? I do. I own 17 properties. I found myself, um, I didn't do drugs. Yeah. But, you know, I came to an era where I was making a lot of money in 2008, 2009 in Las Vegas. And, yeah. and I just found myself buying cheap properties. And I really screwed up this time. When the market is down, make sure you buy, man. You can buy a lot. You haven't been buying any new properties? No, I have enough. I'm trying to get rid of them now. I'm trying to get rid of the property, especially in my New York City, because uh, maintenance is a bitch in New York. You know, if, you don't, if New York is not your primary address, they add another 2.5% to your, market, to your ma- maintenance. Oh, really? Yes, maintenance and maintenance is high as high as hell. That's what I'm going to sell my place. How do they know when you're not living there primarily? Just because a doorman rats you out? How do they know? But because when you file your taxes, you have to, you know, you get a New York oh, tax. Oh, so you're filing in two places. Yes, so you can't do that. So Atlanta, how long you live down there? I don't live here. I'm just here since a uh, quarantine. I came down here in March 14. You got family I've been here since. All my family, most of my family, my family's all over the world, but um, I got a lot of family here in Atlanta. And uh, so I'm here um, and I'm pretty strict about quarantining. Yeah. I've been in the house since March 14th. Uh, very seldom I go out. I All my food is delivered to the door. My uh, really groceries and our deliveries, whatever. Uh, uh, I go to the doctor and I'm really scared to go to the doctor. I got a shot, man. Yeah, you got the the COVID shot. Yes, sir. Congratulations. Thank you so much, my. Do- I called my doctor. I called them all and lied to him. Told him I says I need a shot ASAP. Yeah. And uh, the first one, nobody could get it. And one guy says I got a dosage. If you'd like to come in tomorrow morning at nine fifteen, we'll we'll bring you in. So I was nine fifteen. I was there, and I'm glad I got it. Um, uh, I'm in Atlanta, home of the CDC. So they're saying get it, and uh, a lot of African American people are still a little shaky about getting it because the experiment we went through many years ago was the syphilis trial, the Tuskegee uh, trial. the Tuskegee trials, not good. No, and it could be another trial now. I don't know. I just know I'm old and I got the shot. I want to be in the number. Well, we're all in on it now. If it's a trial, it's on all of us, George. This time we're all going down. Did you get the shot? No, I'm not old enough. You old fucker. <laughs> You're 60. You're 60. Uh, 57, bro. 57. Are you only 57? Man, God bless you, man. God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. So I did it, and Seinfeld got it on um, Saturday. Where'd he get it? So He got it in New York City. Why, is he old, too? How old is he? He's 
He's 66. Oh, so he's uh, he's in the age group, huh? Yeah. You know, and it was amazing. Georgia was like number 50 on the list with worse conditions. Just couldn't get it. It wasn't uh, distributed properly. But it was around, right? I mean, it, it was around. Yeah. So you called a few guys, and you're like, you know a guy who's got some? Well, I called my doctor, and I said, if you if you know of anything, let me know. And through some way, somehow, he got dosages. Uh-huh. And I went there. I'm so stupid, you know. Yeah. My job is to try to write jokes and shit. So I'm sitting there, and, and uh, I'm very um, cautious about my mask and my shield. I wear a mask. I wear a shield. I wear yeah. glasses. I wear everything. Yeah. And but I didn't even. I shouldn't even say this, but I did. I cut a fart in the doctor's office, uh-huh. and none of his patients have COVID. Yeah. Everybody smelt it. They got up and walked the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that was their test for the day. If they were if they were there for a COVID test, they got one from your ass. They got one free. So I, you know, because I'd be thinking, I said, well, you know what? I'm going to open up my own testing sites. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I shouldn't be doing fart jokes, but but it did work. Hey, you know, I talked to another comedian in England about fart jokes. Fart jokes have been around since the beginning of time, George. Fart jokes always work. No matter how cheap they are, everybody enjoys a fart joke. Would you say that again? That's the fact of the matter. Don't do fart jokes. Why not? People laugh at them. Your daddy, you grew up. Fart jokes have always worked. Always. Always been there. Yeah, and they. I think it's just as you get older, people expect more out of you. That's all. <laughs> But you <laughs> always go with what works, the most sim- simplicity. Well, you want to be the fart guy? Do you want to be the fart guy? I talk about so much shit, it doesn't matter. You know me, I don't play by the rules anyway. I talk about anything and everything. I really don't have a show. I'm quite nervous talking to you because I have absolutely nothing to talk about. And it's a, I'm going to be here with you like an hour. I'm going, what the hell am I going to say for an hour? Well, no, I mean, it, it's interesting because like I've known of you and about you and I've seen you around since, you know, since I started doing comedy, you know, so there's like, it's one of those areas where you're a guy that I don't really know how you started, but you know, you were around in New York with that whole second wave of guys. Yeah. And, I, um, but like you were, so you were born in Atlanta and what happened? Where'd you, how'd, where'd, how'd you end up in New York? Let me tell you something. I really, I wanted to be a comedian since I was six years old. Why? Who'd you see? Red Skelton. Oh, yeah, Red Skelton. I saw Red Skelton. I saw Red Fox. I saw Richard Pryor. I saw uh, Johnny Carson. And, on um, TV? On TV. Uh, and uh, Milton Berle. And oh, yeah. as a kid in high school, what I would do, I would I would hear these uh, guys on TV on Thursday night. Oh, yeah. I think Thursday night was like funny night on Carson, right? Yeah. So I'm going to go the next morning. I go to school and I do the jokes and people would laugh. Hell, I didn't know. You know, and I listened to the party records with the Red Fox and Judge Pete Meet Markham and Moms Mabel and people like did you, that. Did your parents have them? Oh, yes, they had them. And, you know, when they went away, <laughs> they were called party records, right? Because yeah, they were so, dirty. I got some of those. You have them? I've got some old Red Fox party records, yeah. Man, I've I got, got, I I got, got pig meat records. You got pig meat records? I do, yeah. I got to do that, man. I got my, one of my favorite photos. I got all of my comedians down there. My comedians I grew up with. I got Richard Pryor there. I got Jackie Moms, maybe. I got uh, Red Fox. Uh, even J.J. Walker's on there. I got uh, a lot of people. Um, with you? Pictures with you? No, not with me. Of them. They're a little older no. than I am. Even J.J. Walker. Had I come along in comedy in three years earlier, J.J. Walker would not have had a job. I know I could have beat him out of that damn job. So you started doing comedy in high school or no? No, I, I went to, I left uh, Georgia and I went to Ohio. Ohio. To study. <laughs> I needed a, a degree in transportation. How'd you decide on transportation? 
because I always loved traveling. My father traveled and we went all over the country and I just loved traveling and getting on do? the car and get on it. My daddy was a butcher. Was a, a traveling butcher? butcher? He, no. <laughs> <laughs> he traveled to work in Atlanta. He worked for Swift and Company. Swift, Swift. And Company. So uh-huh. you know that that's a butterball trip in those people. So, yeah. uh, but he always traveled, and I I think I learned that to this day, people that travel are smarter than most people. When you travel and learn what's going on in the world, it's so important. And I hope you do travel. I hope you travel. Do you travel? Well, you know, when we go to work, when we're able to work, we're on the no, road. No, 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 no. I mean, do you sometimes like take off from what we do? Because when we work, we work. People yeah. don't understand us, stand that about us. We said we're going to, we go, I'm going to Cleveland, I'm going to Chicago, and you right. can't call your family. They don't understand you were here. Yeah, but I'm working. I'm not here to bullshit. I, I guess so. But I try to get around. Don't you get around when you go to work? I, if I try to see the city sometimes, like I'll tra- I've worked in Europe, I'll travel around a little bit. I travel a bit, probably not as much as I should. Do you? Oh, I do. I was doing 250000 a year. I just got a call uh, last week to do Hong Kong, go back to Hong Kong and do more shows there. But do you travel without working? Uh, yes, I do. I like I said, I get two hundred fifty thousand in easily. Really? I didn't this year. Oh man, I love that airplane. The big get up in that seat, and and you just asked me where do I live. Normally, my little crazy answer is I live at United and Delta. Yeah. I love flying. I yeah. love flying. I love learning. People that travel, you learn other cultures. And uh, where do you like to go? Where have you been? You name it. I've been from Shanghai to 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 uh, Singapore to Dubai to Johannesburg. Where do you go back to? Where do you like? I've been there many times. Spain. I used to go to Spain six times oh, a year. Oh, Spain. Because that's what the nude beaches and the freaks were. Oh, okay. I couldn't be a freak in America, but I used to be a freak in Spain. Yes. Secret freak. You're a secret uh, Spanish freak. Every, yeah. Everybody's got their little. Uh, yeah. It'll your secrecies. I, I just love to go to it. I never went nude. I never went nude on the beach, but I used to love going to the nude beaches. So you were the yep. freak that looked at the nude people wearing your trunks. I swear to God, I, I used to. <laughs> it was freaky. Now, these beaches were freaky. People were having sex up in the woods. On, you yeah. know, I used to go watch. I'm telling really? all my little business. I used, I'm telling all my business. Yeah, I, yeah. I love it. But, you know, it's all about fun. Nobody's getting hurt. And they're okay with it? It was okay to watch? They didn't mind? I don't know whether they might not, but I was. <laughs> well, people like to do that. People would like to do that. And uh, but traveling yeah. all over the world, like going to Dubai, I love all yeah. of the like Dubai is an interesting city. I don't know whether you've been there or not. I haven't. You, but you must have done stand up there, right? I just did, I've done stand up everywhere I go, from yeah. South Africa to uh, most interesting places uh, would be in China and Hong Kong. I did stand up in there. Beijing, and did I was you? in Hong Kong. Yeah, Beijing, I did an expatriate, expat gig, and it was weird to be there, man. It's intense to be in China. Beijing is intense because it's a regal city, kind of like Washington, D.C. But when you get to Shanghai, you know, Shanghai is my favorite city in the world. Shanghai is three times larger than New York City, three times more modern than New York City. So it's it's amazing. And, And you start thinking, because we grew up that America has everything. Well, other countries are doing well, too. Even though that being a, a, a communist city, you say, well, what the hell is going on? They're selling shit on the street like they're doing New York City and Hong Kong. Just beautiful, man. Beijing is crazy. I've never seen so many different types of bicycle vehicles. Right, and, and, right. Yeah, and people are just, like, getting haircuts on the street, and they're selling kittens. I don't know if they're, they're selling, that, That's what I was going to tell you. They're selling puppies yeah. and kittens on the street, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. So yeah. so you think this would not be a part of communism at all? Would you? When you think that's not communism, that's commercialism. To, they make well, it I don't money. know. Yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, I don't think there's any straight up definition of communism anymore. It's so it's so dug in there. It doesn't mean you can't sell kittens on the street. There's other reasons you probably <laughs> sh- shouldn't sell kittens on the kittens street. Kittens and but. you know, also they sell kittens and chickens and snakes, all kinds of shit. In so China. that's my problem. Is like, are these for food or pets? That's what I, I had a problem with understanding. What are these kittens for? Ooh, man, I never thought about it like that. That's, <laughs> Lee, wait a second. Dude, that's yeah. crazy. You because thought- it could be, couldn't it? Yeah, of course. It could be. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Sorry, buddy. I, ruined I your can't day. imagine. <laughs> but you know what is good? You know what is good in China? McDonald's. Mm. Yeah. McDonald's and KFC. I think they use the old formula. With the French fries and the grease, you know what I did. You know what I did notice though when I was in Beijing, those were the only two logos I understood. Like I, like everything, all the other signs, I didn't know what they said. But I'm like, oh, there's the bucket, there's there's the arches. Now you would be surprised now you when you leave Beijing and you go down to Shanghai. Yeah. Then you would see, you know, you got your Hagen Dazs ice cream, you got your uh, Starbucks coffee. I don't know why it's so different. And Hong Kong is just like America, to be honest, because, you know, Hong Kong was a British colony. So their first language was uh, English. Yeah, I don't know if it is anymore. They took no, it back. No, not until 1999, and it's causing a lot of problems. And that's why I just told you I was uh, summoned to come back to Hong Kong to do a show. I don't know what I can do, what I used to do. Uh, I don't know what it's like there anymore. It sounds like shit went down. It, it does, and I thought they were gonna really. They still fight, but they're locking people up and sending them to jail in China, mainland. Yeah. So it's getting pretty tough, man. It's Scary tough. stuff. But travel is the best thing you could ever do. Make sure you continue to travel. Um, do you I work do. all the time, or do you? I do. I work by. I don't work out of the country enough. You know. I, I mean, I did do. I, I enjoy. I went to Ireland recently, which I love. I never been uh, to Ireland. You never been. I've never been to Ireland or Scotland because I don't like London. No, Scotland and Ireland are beautiful. Beautiful. Is that right? Well, I mean, if you like that kind of stuff, green and damp and, you know. I kind don't of... like that. Even though I want to move to Vancouver, <laughs> British Columbia, I don't like green and damp, even though I think Seattle, Washington, and Portland, they're green and damp. And that's part of the most beautiful part of uh, America, that North. Yeah, it's great. You want to go to Vancouver? That's where you're going to run? Let me tell you, I want to go to Vancouver because of COVID. Yeah. And, uh, and just going across the line, I think they've got like 7,000 deaths in Canada because of leadership. No, I, it's like, you know, but like, but I mean, you got the vaccine. Oh, I, I got to get another shot. And then I, know, I still got to wait. I still got to wait another three weeks. I, I'm not playing with this, man. I'm not ready to go into the clubs yet. Uh, and I thank God for the young comics that are going into the clubs. But if there's any germateria, that's where it is in the clubs. Yeah, I ain't going out. I'm not going out to the clubs. Oh my God! You make see you see these guys going out, and you see a few of them coming up sick lately. Yeah, this, you see droplets coming out of your mouth. Let alone the audience that they laugh at your jokes if you're really funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's all that's coming. Out. And the yeah. nastiest thing in the world is being on stage. How many people have been on the mic and backstage? Yeah, yeah it's no, like I a COVID. It's like a perfect storm of COVID. Yeah, I can wait. We've done, and you've done. We've done fifteen hundred thousand shows. We can wait. So in Ohio, you're getting your transportation degree. How did that work out? Where were you working? Thank you for going back there. I got a degree. I went to Firestone Town Rubber Company because they had a tuition assistant program. So I got a degree in and 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 transportation. And I knew, you know, with my outgoing personality, I got the degree 
it was only an associate degree at the time, but I did walk out of the library and said, this is the last time I'll ever take a test anywhere. And they all yeah. knew me in the library and said, Wallace, get out of here. And the next week there was some more uh, scholarship money. So I went back to get my other degrees in marketing and transportation. So you're all set for comedy with part, uh, transportation and marketing. You're ready to go. It's time to be well, funny. I, I had degrees and then I moved to New York City to become a comedian, but I needed a financial cushion. When, when you were working at Firestone, what were you doing? Making Computer computer, computer technologist. Oh, you weren't, operating. You, you weren't you know making tires? You know those mainstream computers? No. Hell no. The, uh, the computers <laughs> back in the day, remember when yeah. one computer could Shit. take up a whole room? Yeah, when they had the cards, floor, the, the, the IBM cards? The, yeah, yeah. I did that. Yeah, so. You did what? I ran the machine. I ran the cards that you would punch the cards, data Ooh. entry, data processing. I was punching the buttons like, like, are you operating your board right now? That's the most amazing job I think. When I go to a radio station, I see a guy punching those buttons and making them go back and forth. I yeah. always wanted to do that. But I used to operate a computer. You know, yeah. I used to do the printing and doing the punching buttons and just reading the instructions. Uh, so I did that. But that was to get a financial cushion to get me uh, just to get a degree. I was bad. I'm not. I'm not a good student, man. I, I need to go back to school. No, it's not going to happen, George. Those days are behind you. I want to go back to school. You know why? My head is my head is fucked up, man. Because like I don't use a lot of. I'm kind of yeah. embarrassed. I don't use a lot of big words like Dennis Miller. <laughs> uh huh. Sure, you don't need <laughs> to. A, well, I had a I had an instructor, Doctor Eloysius Misko, and he said one profound statement: "Never speak where people understand you." Always speak where they never misunderstand you. Be as simple as possible. And that struck a, a chord in my head. And to this day, I don't use a lot of big words. I don't know a lot of big, big words. Shit, I just focused two weeks ago. I just got into uh, uh, insurrection. And uh, uh, <laughs> you had to look it up. Insurrection was a new one. And uh, the other one too, seditious. <laughs> seditious, you had to look that one up. <laughs> Every every five years when there's a new court, something big happening, you know, we had the OJ the OJ yeah. trial, we had defendant. Now I knew about defendant, but they yeah. said defendant. And then yeah. all of a sudden somebody said sequestering. I'm going, oh God, I got to look that up too. So <laughs> so every year I learned some new words, man. So but, you can uh, do it, you can do it every day, George. You could just I mean I think they have something uh, uh, on the computer where you, you learn a new word every day vocabulary but you don't get to the right place where you want to use it at the right time so you learn it then you forget it but i do i would like to go back to school and, and uh, learn more i like to learn more history i like to learn more of everything but can't you do that on your own what do you need a school for i'm lazy oh, it's right see. there you're right you're on the computer you can go on the computer every morning and learn. So you need someone you to tell you you need someone to give you an assignment I'm old school. I need to sit in a chair with a, <laughs> with a number a desk. Two. <laughs> I need a desk. I don't think I would do better with the with the going to school, the actual being in class. Then I don't know how these young kids are getting away with uh, online online learning. Yeah, that's got to be pretty tough. It's terrible. It's tough for everybody. Their parents are going crazy. Everyone's going crazy. No one's everyone's in the house. They're going nuts. Yeah, but I did that. I wanted to go to school to get a financial cushion. And then I sold rags when I got out of college. When I what do you mean you sold rags? rags? What, what is it, 1902? What do you mean you sold rags? Let me tell you something, young man. <laughs> I I am old. You know, I've been doing comedy since like 1853. Long time, long what time. does selling it's, rags mean? It was a job, man. You'd be surprised how much money people make selling rags. Like I'm, rags, I'm, like rags that you wipe things with. Yes, sir. You'd be, <laughs> I used to. Uh, 
you racks to riches. I, I think I did that. I did. Uh, sounds like you it. sell you rags did. to mecha- mechanics. You know, okay. the mechanic has the, the rag, and uh, but wait, I where sold. You, where, you just where'd you get the rags to sell? Did you work for a rag selling company, or is there a place where? You, how does it work? <laughs> I know this sounds really stupid. A guy sold rags, so rags to no, riches. I like uh, it. that. Was a, when I got to New York, I needed to make some money to get a financial cushion. I read an ad. This is how old I am. When I was young. We had, you had to go to the newspaper to read that one ads. Remember that? Uh-huh. No, you're too young to remember. Young, uh, no, of course. Ads. They had the one ads so, in the back, in the back. Yes, 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 yes. And so it said 150 to $300 a day. Uh, and check this out. And I checked it out, and it was selling rags. And the name of the company was Cleveland Cotton Products. Now, I went to school in Akron, Ohio, which is 30 miles down the road. I went back to Cleveland to learn how to sell rags and processing of rags. You'd be surprised how many people need rags. Restaurant need rags. Car dealership needs rags. Doctor's office need rags. Everybody needs rags. Schools need rags to clean. So you were deep into the rag racket. Man, let me tell you something. I sold ShamWow in 1972. Wow, man. I sold You're... ShamWow in 19... I didn't have a name for it then. It was just called a disposable cloth. Yeah, and I it was sold, called, I, it was called my, a rag. <laughs> yeah, my, no, it was the new rag that was a disposable, reusable cloth. Okay. I made that's the first day I ever made thirty five hundred dollars in my life selling those selling rags. I sold it to Earl Scheib, and I, I I used to have a pen, just like this little pencil would stick in my pocket. It was yeah. a scale. I could weigh a rag, and I get the biggest rag they have. And I says, um, I would weigh the rag. How much is this? Uh, how much? How much are you paying per pound for rags? They said twenty three cents. I got yeah. a rag here weighs eight ounces. Oh man, that's twelve ounces just for one rag. I can sell you brand new universal cloth every day. You know, just uh, and you can reuse it, reusable, uh, brand new cloth. Wow. And I, would, I had to change their way of thinking. And, Around the rags. Uh, and that's how you made your fortune in rags. I'm one of the first people to sell a disposable cloth at the dentist's office. It used to be a white napkin they would put on your, at the dental office. But as you know, now they put yeah. um, a handy white with a plastic backing. I sold that many years ago. So You're I was like a around. pioneer. You're a rag pioneer. Well, I didn't make it. I'll just do sell the shit. You know, it was, uh, yeah. I sold a lot of PPE equipment way back then. So before a ShamWow came out, I was selling that. And, uh, and I made a lot of money doing that. And then I wanted to sell, uh, advertising. Yeah. And then I sold everything at Times Square. Yeah. The 5,000 buses in New York City. I was vice president of that outdoor advertising company. What do you, so, really? On the buses? Yes, All the 5,000 buses in New York City, Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland. Uh, How'd you get that over. job? I was sitting at Ammonia Square in Athens, Greece, with a friend of mine. We was just talking about some uh, careers, and then there was a friend that he knew that was hey, wait, working in Greece. You were in, in Greece? Greece, Athens, yes. Greece, and this yes, is before sir. you started doing comedy. You were just yes, in sir. Greece. You took yes, the, what the subway there? Like what were said, you doing in Greece? <laughs> I, took, I took the Greyhound. I drove the back way. A lot of people don't know you can drive in Europe if you go the back way. <laughs> Listen to me. But we were sitting talking about careers. Young young men talking about careers. And that yeah. was a guy that he knew that uh, that made like $70,000 a year selling advertising space, you know. So, but this That's sounds a, like you, you learned how to, you learned how to hustle. So you learned how to sell. I mean, you had to sell this stuff. So that, that got you involved with people. Still wanted to be a comedian. Let's make one thing perfectly clear. Yes, learning how to sell a product is the same thing as learning how to sell a joke. You got to yes. go on stage and present the package. Right. So I sold to, uh, I had big accounts. Let's put it like this. When I was in New York City, Catch a Riding Star, 1976, 
I was I was making $75,000 then as a young kid. And that was, and people say, you're gonna quit that to become a comedian? I never cared. All, all I ever wanted to do was become a comedian. Never wanted to do any television, never wanted to do any movies, anything like that. Just wanted to tell jokes because I knew of Red Fox and uh, all of the guys, Patrick Henry. And Red Fox Red, was so fucking funny, man. Uh, yeah, I uh, see, I knew them and they were working in Las Vegas and we were told that Patrick Henry and Don Rickles, they were making $300,000 a year. That's all I need to make. What the fuck I need to wonder who that's all I wanted to make. And so, so, so when you decided to start doing it, did you have an act? Yes, because I had studied that in New York City. I studied Seinfeld and I started together in 1976 at Catch a Rising Star. Was Catch. That's, why we, that's why we're still best friend 45 years right now. We started together at Catch a Rising Star. So, do you remember your what was it, an open mic night or what? Yeah, Monday night. Did you do that? Yeah, I never, I, I, I didn't have the, 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 the pride. I couldn't sit there and wait for Lewis to decide when I was going to fucking go on. So I, I, I stayed downtown mm-hmm. or I went to the old improv. I just couldn't, I could not tolerate Lewis Ferranda having any control over my life. Where's, oh, I'm talking about, I'm looking for my phone. I've, I wanted to call Lewis and say how you, how he fucked up your life. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still doing it at Caroline's. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> We, I think we've, uh, I think, I think we're okay, him and I. I I've, yeah. I've, addre- I've addressed that. So I'm, I'm sure. So, so who was on the, who was around when you guys first went up? So where'd you meet Seinfeld at Catch? At Catch, he was sitting at one. You know, I was my first time little black kid at the end of the bar. He was a little long haired Jewish kid at the other end of the bar, and we started talking, waiting to go on. And uh, next thing you know, that we started to bond and hang together. And who was in charge of putting you on? Was it Rick? Well, Rick was the boss, of course. You had Belzer and you had Bill Maher. And you had Adrian Tosh. So, but Belzer, who ran the who ran the Monday night? Uh, one of the three of those. One of the three. And so you're just this guy, and you 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 had an idea because I remember seeing a where did I see that? The picture I used to look at. Had no I was, fucking idea what I was doing. I was a preacher. That's what you're getting ready to say, right? I was in a robe. Yeah, that picture, that comic strip in the robe, in the preacher robe. You know, when you're starting, you don't know what you're doing. I well, know what. So you decided on a preacher. I went to a little comedy school, a little comedy class, Irvin Dalvin, and me yeah. and Rick Overton and quite a few guys. We were in the class. Overton? Us, yeah, Rick Overton. Do what you do. And all I did, you know, I'm a little country boy from Atlanta, Georgia, coming out of the church, and I would always mock the preacher, and he thought that was a great character. And I had a, to put on the robe and the Jewish high, high use of high. And yeah. then I had the Yellow Page telephone book. That, you know, you remember the Yellow Page was that thick? Yeah, that was my Bible, the Good Book of Bell. Yeah. Whatever you want, look it up in the book. I was known as the Reverend George Wallace back in the day. Look it and up that, in the book, you and that was your shoes. stick. That yeah. was your hook. Yeah, and I was good at it too until I got to the Neverly Hotel up in the in the in the mountains. When I took Wait, so you're doing that preacher stick and the the phone book, and it was all improvised. You just kind of you what'd they you were go with? Stock jokes. They were everything. I was all you know. It was Dave. Day day one, I didn't know shit. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was having fun. I do have the personality to go up and sell myself. That's what I think most people. That's one of my formulas: sell yourself. Catch a rising star at that time. Everybody was hanging out there. That was a big place. I mean, that are you was... kidding me? That's where David Brenner was, man. That's where uh, Johnny Carson would come in and uh, Brenner, uh, yeah, and Pat Benatar, uh, yeah, man, the biggest uh, Steve Bluestein. Yeah, Boozler, yeah. Leno. Oh yep. my God! And I got to go on stage, and, and you know, I your pay was a, a meal if you wanted a hamburger or a steak. 
when you made it and, and going there and being just being able to make people laugh, you know, uh, as a young person. And they had a band. To That's bring right. They had Ita- didn't they have Italian food there? Oh, yes. That's what I was going to say. A, a shrimp scampi. Oh, right. my God. Was that good? Yeah. And I think it was run by the Italians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back I remember. Day, yeah. But that was before my time. So you started doing it. And, and, and who's your crew? It's you and Seinfeld and who else? Well, what happened was they were also building the comic strip two blocks away. So we were not regulars there. Kelly Rogers and, like I said, Elaine Boozler and all of those guys. They really you were just open too. micers? Uh, everybody was, but they owned, that was their club. So yeah. uh, the comic strip opened. So we went over there. I went over there to sell them advertising. Really? Put them on the buses in New York City. What was that guy's name, Richie? Richard Tinkin. Yeah. Richard Tinkin and Bob Wax, who also went on to uh, manage uh, Eddie Murphy. Right. So I said, I do a little act. After I said, you need to put your business on the street and the back of all of these buses. I'm going to put you on a hundred buses going up and down second, third Avenue, eat, drink, and be merry at the coming strip. And you know, back in the day, you couldn't get into the clubs. They were just packed. Yeah. They were packed. And so it was like a new thing. Yeah. It was a new thing. And I said, I do a little coming in myself. They said, well, come in tomorrow night, Thursday night and audition. I went in in my robe and my telephone book and my briefcase yeah. and just the right Reverend Dr. Joy. And they bring it up with music. So I would go up on, oh, when the saints go yeah. marching in and the whole audience would get into it and having fun and, and they bought it. And, and I've been on stage since every night since then. And I learned as I grew, I grew out of the, you know, you, you can't do stock jokes. You got to learn how to be you. As they say, you don't even know who you are. Well, what was that? What, what happened in the mountains, man? What was the, what was the, how, how did the, uh, the good, the good <laughs> reverend end? Let me tell you something. <laughs> I went up to the mountains. That was an article yesterday. David Letterman just did an article, just did a, a show with uh, Neil, uh, I forgot Neil's name, Neil. Uh, Brennan. Brennan. Yeah. And they talked about a guy that never bums. George Wallace. That's another guy. He never bums. Well, they never met me before this night. <laughs> I was up in the mountains, man. I don't know whether you've ever bombed. I like to have a good time on stage, but I was in the mountains. I had to do 45 minutes. Who the fuck told me that I could go to the mountains to, in front of all of the Jewish people that know all of the, jo- the jokes in the world? And I had stock jokes. Somebody thought I could go up there and make $100 a night or $50 a night for 45 minutes with no real act. Right. I went on that stage. And I did my jokes. I got no laughs, no laughs for 45 minutes. Oh, that hurts. That but hurts I stayed up there. Oh, they were you. doing ting, cling, 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 cling. Uh, no, no, it, this didn't hurt. This was worse than my mother's funeral. Oh. And driving from New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah your, your heart died. <laughs> listen, driving from New York to back to New York, I really, really wanted to drive off the Tappanzee Bridge. no. You don't understand what bad is. It was bad, man. Oh, believe me, I, I've been doing this, you know, more than half my life. I definitely know what bad is. <laughs> not, not this bad. Not this bad. This is. I mean, crying bad. And uh, and I got a little better. And three years later, I went back up to the Neverly, and I did, you know, and uh, I did it. I did a better job. And there was an old Jewish lady. She was a waitress there. She yeah. tapped me on the shoulder. She says, "Much better this time, eh?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i did that with the reverend and then i learned and uh, so the reverend uh, the re- the reverend died with the jews is that no is that what you're I, I i continued to do the reverend I, I, I got better and then i was uh so good at selling advertising i went out to los angeles to sell advertising so i did that i had balls man i went to universal i put diana ross up on the bus i put elton john up on the buses in new york city 
I was good. But so you never, it did, you, you're not one of these guys sort of like only stand up. You you were you kind of have one foot in the regular world too, huh? Well, I had to have a, a, a financial cushion to do what I wanted to do. I had a brand new Lincoln after making that money and 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 uh, selling advertising and rags. So I had a little money to do it. I, and when I started, I had a car. If you had a car in New York City, uh, all the other comedians were. He got a car. He got a car. You know, you're I could, driving them around. Yeah, huh? I drive me and Seinfeld could drive around and. Uh, did you guys, were you doing road gigs here too? I mean, before? We did little things around New Jersey, all over yeah. and, and, and out on the island. And, you and uh, Jerry? Me and Jerry and Paul Reiser and uh, oh, yeah. Larry Miller. Yeah, Larry. But, I, but I, I didn't stay in New York long enough. I was only there for six months because of my personality. I had the people going crazy and getting standing ovations. So, you know, once you get to be that good, it's kind of yeah. like killing at the cellar every night. Once yeah. you start killing at the cellar, you know, maybe I should move to the bottom of another level. So that's right. what took me out to Los Angeles. How's Larry Miller? You talked to him? I haven't talked to him in a while. Last time we went down to the Coming to Magic Club, he was doing okay after his accident. You know. So, okay, good. Yeah, so, so, so you move out to do comedy and to sell advertising. I, I moved to, to do advertising, and and then and I got really into comedy at the comedy store. They let you in. Mitzi let you in. Now let me tell you something. What happened? At, I went out to. I'm doing. I'm like Mr. Big Shit in New York at the Comic Strip at Catch Rider Star and the Improv and Good Times. I'm doing with all the of these reverend. Stuff. The yeah, Reverend. With the Reverend. Yeah. Uh, man, I was doing, I don't know what you did, but I was doing up to seven sets a night. Sure. Yeah. Running around that. We're doing three clubs. You do the, what you, yeah. Two you shows do, a night. Yeah. Yeah. Running up and down, just up and down. Yes. So, and you can become good with shitty material. Once you get your timing down, you can become good. Yeah. And you only have to do 15 minutes and keep repeating it. It should get better, right? And then sometimes you do it so much. Did I do that joke already? Yeah. With my with my fucked up head, I'm going, did I do that joke already? They say yes. But I said, I don't give a shit. I'm doing it again. So I'm going to just do it three times, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but when I got to California, I went to the comics comedy store. Yeah. And What uh, year is this, 78? 77. Okay. 77. I yeah. went on to comedy store. Comedy store was closed. They had the, 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 the comedy store was in Westwood. Right. Robin Williams, everybody was there. You know, David Letterman, we're all on stage together. And I went on an audition on a Monday night, and I killed. Yeah. And I walked off stage, and I went up to Mitchie trying to get a little approval. Hi, right. How'd I do? You're not right for my club. Oh, boy. Boy, that was like, damn, right in my heart. I'm going like, damn, I come out here, I'm doing well. I did the, I just killed in there. No, you can't work on my club. So I said, fuck her. The next day, I called in for spots. Yeah. Five spots for the week. Then I knew she was crazy. She just told me last night I could not work her club, right? Yeah. And I call in on Tuesday and I get five spots for the rest of the week and, and worked forever. And I'm one of the guys that worked at the communist store and worked for the improv back in the day. They didn't want you to work both. So in 77, the, the rosters was like you and Letterman and Leno. They were bigger than me. Uh, uh, me, Paul, Paul Mooney, Paul Mooney, Mooney Elaine Boozler, uh, uh Oh, there's so many good guys. Billy Crystal, all of those guys are out there, then, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, really cool. Uh, but but watching Richard Pryor work out there was awesome. Right? Did you get to talk to him? Did you get to meet oh, him? Oh yeah, he's. I come on stage one night. He said, "I really like what you do. I really like what you do." But he was awesome. I saw him. The good thing I learned about him, I saw him bomb so bad for three weeks. Yeah, I saw him bomb too. It's wild. Did right? you? Yeah. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't give in like me. Like I better do something funny. He bombed so badly. So if he's doing that last album, I think Sunset Live on Sunset. Right, he right. He would not they do Mudbone. No, I can't do Mudbone, motherfucker. I got it. And 
it was so bad for three weeks, we was going, well, this one ain't going to work. The fourth week, go, well, at least it's a little better than last week. The uh-huh. fourth, fifth week, you go, eh, eh. sixth week, you go, let's get, he's coming together. And about <laughs> after four months, you go like, this motherfucker got a show live on Sunset, doing it. So that was a great learning process to watch him. You saw him bomb. build it from nothing, just from ripping. nothing. Yeah. Bomb. Sam Kennison used to bomb every night. People didn't know what the hell he was doing. Yeah, they used to, used to clear the room. <laughs> yeah, I got I got an old tape of his. I when I was I was a doorman at the store in '87, so I spent really? a lot of time. Yeah, I spent a lot of time doing Sam's Coke '87. You didn't know me back then. You didn't get to know me that well because by the time '85, I did the Tonight Show. Yeah, you in were 1979. gone. '79, so I was gone. I did the Tonight Show in 1979. And the next night, I was opening for Natalie Cole in front of 17,000 people. That was when you kind of did the Tonight Show. You're gone. People are hiring you for everything. So that was the, so that was the gig, the, right? Because the, you didn't have the comedy clubs yet, but you had to open for, for musical acts. Yes. So I opened for Natalie Cole. I worked, I worked for uh, Donna Ross, George Benson, Smokey Robinson, Helen Reddy, Paul Anka. I was with Tom Jones for five years. I was with Donna five Ross years with Tom home. Jones? I loved it. I loved it because, and then I didn't, I was working with Donna Ross during that disco era. Yeah. And that was really something because she had like half, I had it, 50% was gay. And one yeah. thing about the best audience in the world, black audience, Jewish audience, gay audience. So, so that was a mix of all three. So every night I go out there, I get like a standing ovation and I got fired. Why? Because of our ego, our ego and our attitudes, even in me and you today, if there's a guy on in front of you, especially if we're headlining, if they are getting standing ovation, you shit, you know, get the fuck off. <laughs> yeah, it's not well, I mean, jealousy. But, it's kind of like you know. But she's a singer. Yeah, but I was when you get a standing ovation in Las Vegas, that's an extra minute and a minute and a half off the clock. Uh, so they're like, "Come on, get out the way." And oh, she so you, oh, so she 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 fired you, or the or the hotel fired you? She did. She did. Uh, Smoke around and said she didn't fire you yet. I said got fired last week. And two weeks later, she had me back, and I was working with her for another year. Did she fire you to your face? No, they call it. They go through the agent. They go through the agent. Say, so, yeah, no, she something happened there. And then uh, Tom Jones saw me with Donna Ross. He's coming with me, and going, oh hell no, I'm getting seventeen thousand people a night with Miss Ross. And her shows were amazing. Reach out and touch somebody's hand, and a comedian yeah. get a chance to work with an audience like that. Yeah, I loved it. And so one week, Diana Ross was off, and they asked me to come in with Tom Jones. And this, this dude, I did not, I knew it was big, Shea Stadium, working very hard. But the next night, Tom Jones, 16, 17,000 people I'm going, what the hell? International audience are all ladies down front, yeah. throwing underwear to the stage. Right. And so I got in with him and opened for him in Caesar's Palace. And, and they told me, Mr. Wallace, uh, it's going to be pretty bad because the same 500 ladies come to see Tom Jones every night down front. <laughs> so you'll have no, you'll have no audience down front, man. And, but you, do you know, those ladies were there every night for me, every yeah. night. And we did two shows a night then. We did Doing the same show act? and a lecture. No, that's what learn taught me. I've got to do some more material. Coming right. up with little ideas like uh, the chandeliers. You saw those beautiful chandeliers out there. Yeah. Well, I paid for those. A little simple shit like that, and people knew what you were talking about in the gambling. Tom Jones's ladies taught you how to write new material. Well, well, I knew how to write. I knew I had to do it was a it was fun to write new material because you had new people coming in every night. Yeah, the yeah, same yeah. ladies. You know you had to change it up. Right. The same ladies. And I learned from that. And I had to do forty five minutes too. I did not have the regular twenty minutes that everybody else had. 
45 before Jones? Yes, and he would be backstage sometimes. I mean, we became very close friends. And uh, he would sometimes even behind and say, get your black ass off the stage. You know? So, <laughs> <laughs> so but uh, what fun that was. Just learning process, man. All I ever wanted to do was learn and, and, and work Las Vegas. Who, like, you know, looking back on all those people that you work with, who, who are the, who, who do you, who are the best people? Like, who who do you really like? I mean, Diana seems like she sounds a little difficult. Tom seems fun, but she was what, difficult at first because she was having her divorce with uh, Barry Gordy, uh, and she was having, uh, and it was pretty big. That disco era was pretty pretty big, and she ran the show. And this is all in Vegas. Or you go on the road too? No, on the road, all over America, huh. all over America. And uh, that's quite a life, huh? Yeah. Then I started with Tom Jones, and he just turned out to be fantastic. When I got to Tom Jones. Uh, he paid me more money than Diana Ross. Plus, I couldn't. I was not allowed to touch my luggage. I was not allowed to do anything. Uh, airplane, and I sat right across from him on the plane. It was really good service there. And then sometimes they make a mistake and and pay me, and the hotel would pay me also, and I never said a damn word, you know. Uh-huh. So uh, Tom Jones, Donna Summer was great to work with. Smoke Robinson, George Benson, great. Everybody I worked with was great to work with uh, because I demand that. So that was sort of the, see, I guess that's why it's interesting because there are guys your age, like, you know who else? I talked to, uh, to Brad Garrett, who was younger than you, but, but there was, there's a, a world of comics that's, you know, the goal was to get to Vegas. Yes. At that time. Yes. Because like there wasn't uh, you know, when you started working, there wasn't some comedy club circuit, you open for musicians. And then if you could get to Vegas and get, you know, ha- you know, 50 dates a year or whatever, that was the gig. 50 dates a year, excuse me, my friend. You're talking to me, okay? I know. I, I'm sorry. Uh, 300, I 350 I was, dates a year. I was doing at least 300 dates a year because I was working for everybody. Like I said, we were doing two shows a night. Yeah. And, and, and every night. And Tom Jones sometimes did 34 weeks a year just on the road all over. Right. We go to Vegas two or three times, Lake Tahoe, Atlantic City, uh, Radio City Music Hall, racetracks, outdoors, 70,000 people, just everywhere, all of the local venues. But see, like the, I guess the thing is, like, so you know, by the time comedy clubs came around, you were already dug into making a lot of money in the in the old school way. But you never wanted to do TV. You never wrote TV or nothing. Could you say that again? By the time comedy clubs came around, enough people knew me from the tour that I would bring those people into the comedy clubs, and I wanted the first guy to say, "Give me ninety percent of the door." Oh, so that's how you did it. That's why I made a lot of money because I had the Tom Jones people. I had also the people from the Tonight Show. I had the people from Arsenio. I had audience coming from everywhere. Always a mixed audience. Black, white, young, old, and sold out. And I would add shows, sometimes five shows a day. Give me 85, 90% of the door. So you did so, the door deals. You invented the door deal. You get the drinks, I'll take the I'll take the cash. Yes, yes, yes. And so and there were only the big clubs, Birmingham, Alabama, Atlanta, Georgia, San Francisco, uh, that was, they were going to be full either way, but for sure we were going to add shows when, uh, when I came to town. So that, so when the comedy club explosion happened, you already had a built-in audience because you built yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. Plus, I was the one that could, could promote. I'm an advertising entrepreneur. I know how to go to the, the local radio station. I don't mind getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning doing the radios. I had to learn to do, if you had a choice to do radio or television in the mornings to attract an audience, always do radio. People watching on TV, they, they're at home. Yeah. They don't have jobs. And everyone's listening to radio. Yes. So I learned how to do that and I enjoy it. I love working. I just, 
look what we do, man. Come on, I know. we don't do I, my thing right now. When I go and say this, I just love the people. I got. I'm blessed. I got the greatest job in the world. And all I do is lie. I just, I just lie. I mean, now I got to the point. Now I just make up shit. <laughs> Gee, you could be president. Just, <laughs> that's that's the ending joke. I want to be the greatest bullshitter in the world, but Trump is kicking my ass right now. Well, he's <laughs> gone now. Bless. Got to retire that joke. Yeah. Did you work? How much TV did you do? Did you care about TV? No, I wasn't into that. All I just want to do is it's like today. I'm not into television, even though I have two television shows. I just turned down a TV show with, uh, not turned down, I was writing, I, was, I had a show with Jamie Foxx. I was the second leader after him, uh, lead role. Uh, it's called Daddy's Stop Embarrassing Me. Yeah. And we shut down on March 13 mm. because of COVID. And I wouldn't go back with Netflix. I wouldn't go back because I'm black. It wasn't a good time to fly. Yeah. Uh, all of the pre-existing conditions. Uh, maybe my blood pressure was borderline. Yeah. And I decided I don't want to go back because you had to live in a hotel going back and forth. I made the right decision. And I was making tons of money. They yeah. were paying me tons of money. But uh, I decided not to go back. So that was a good TV show. Now I have a new deal with a guy uh, by the name of um, Norman Lear. You probably never heard of this guy. He's an older guy. Did a couple Norman shows. Lear. He's 97 years old. You think, yeah, I have a deal with him on the, on the shelf right now. So I'm slowly transferring into television and movies because I work, you know, I, I'm, I'm a resident in Las Vegas. I work when I want to work. I own my show in Las Vegas. We'll talk about that later, but you didn't do any writing early on. You just, this is all new. Oh, this one I started on. Let me put this. I did. Uh, when I got in 1977, I got to the comedy store. I was on stage and the producers were inside for the Red Fox show. And then at the time they said, we think you should, uh, we would like for you to come right on the Red Fox show. And I said, oh, I don't know. I don't want to. I didn't know anything about being a job as a writer. They said, we know you can do it. You got to do it. I said, I don't think so. And this sounded kind of crazy at the time, but they did tell me, well, it's $3,500 a week. And I said, well, maybe I can come up with a little something, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but I, I did that. So I did write. The show was only on for one year. It was not Sanford and Son. It was a show that was on after Sanford What was Son. it like working with Red? No idea. The show, <laughs> I was on Dave Osborne, uh, Sergeant, what was his name? Uh, Officer Don, Officer, something like that. He was my producer. Dave uh -huh. Osborne, he's the guy who produced the, uh, the, the Smothers Brothers show. And we were sitting there and write the Red Fox show in uh, uh, somewhere in California. We'd write the show. The show was shot at, a at CBS and it was it was on ABC and the day I'm going, how do I do this shit? They shoot it one studio and then they, it airs on ABC. So was, it Bob, was it Bob Einstein? Bob Einstein. Yeah. That's Bob Einstein, Albert, yeah. Albert Brooks's brother. Oh uh, yeah. Officer Dunn. Yeah. Yeah. Is that his name? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, real, real boys. He died last year. Yeah. Fantastic guy. And I wish I could have worked longer in writing. Writing is good. I can, I can write now, but I was not a good writer back then. So you never got to work with red. You wrote it one place and then they just do it. We go over and see him. Yeah, we go over. We go over when we shot the show, and then he knew me as a comic, and so we we did it that way. And but I met a lot of people. Nice guy. And when he was, yeah, very nice guy. But man, did he do a lot of drugs? Oof. Yeah, he yeah. did a lot of drugs. That's where I first met Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali came to CBS, and he walked straight into the studio. He said he walked straight to me because I'm his size. Yeah. And he says I'm the greatest of all time. I said <laughs> come on. I said oh, I I'm good too. And so we went back and forth, and yeah, it was good working for Red. We had a lot of fun. So how did how does 
how does Vegas work? So now, because I know you like you had your own show there for a long time. You still got it? I was, I was, I know I don't like Vegas, so I don't go there. But anytime I go there, I see you on a billboard. Yeah, I had more billboards in Las Vegas than any hotel because I went into Las Vegas because you're you're in advertising. Because I'm, ooh, there you go. I knew how to, I knew how to buy four boards and make them give me six. I said, you got all these boards out on the street that are closed. There's nothing on them. Put me on them, and trust me, other people in Las Vegas will follow my run. Guess what? I did a lot of things. I, I was very creative in Las Vegas. Uh, people had one truck. You know, the advertising truck goes up and down Las Vegas. I put five up. With your face on there. Back to back to back to back to back, and everybody in Las Vegas was going. That's so stupid. Why would he put up five trucks back to back to back to back to back to back? And all I to say is, you're talking about it. Yeah, they'll remember. You're talking about it. And so what happened when I got to Las Vegas, uh, I bought the show. I owned the show. I never worked for the hotels. Well, how's that? What does that mean? What do you mean you bought the show? It's called Full Walling. I rent a room. Right. So at the Flamingos, 800 seats. Uh, every night, uh, I rent a room and it was tough. I didn't take a, uh, uh, any money for the first year. I put my money back out into the streets. I walked every day to every hotel and shook every concierge's hand and let them know you got a new show in town. Really? And, when you, uh, what year was this? 19, 2004 to 2014. So you're working the streets. You're going up to the guys, the, the concierges. I'm George Wallace. I got the show and yeah, and it's different. Come over and see it. Here's two tickets for you. Come over. I didn't give a damn what they sold the tickets as long as they were happy. That's why I have worked Las Vegas more shows than most people, but definitely more shows than any African-American. That includes Red Pox, Sammy Davis Jr., Lena Horne, Diana Ross. I've done more shows in Las Vegas than any other African-American entertainer. So the show was, uh, so it wasn't, the hotel didn't pay for it. You rented the space, but you had to abide by their time, right? Yeah, I, I took a 10 o'clock spot because I thought people, uh, I thought more people like to laugh at 10. Mm. And that but worked. Because had I gone at 8, I would have to compete against all of the other shows, Cirque du Soleil and all of those bigger shows. Right. So then and also decreased the amount of shows at 10. And people wanted to come out and people came from everywhere. And I also had a backing in radio. So I, I forgot to tell you that I was doing radio, uh, nationwide radio with Tom Joyner. So it was in a hundred markets across America. So I had that following too, to bring in my, uh, my, my audience and my market and people will come wow. in and see my name. So I built that up. After the first year, it was just go a gravy train, huh? And after the first year, it was pretty hard. It takes that long to catch on. You got to get your niche. Right. And, and you're doing uh, just straight stand up, just straight stand up. And then after the, it started to grow and I brought in other entertainers with me to have fun with, and I was kind of crazy guy. I brought in, and you're not going to believe this. I had in Jennifer Holiday. Had War. These people were opening for me. I had uh, so many other people. I'm the first guy to bring in Sly and the Family Stone after 25 years of being on stage. It's after that night he did like the Grammys and walked off with the weird uh, mohawk, the blonde mohawk. Yeah, you remember? Yeah. I said I want him because he was my favorite entertainer when I was in college. How did he do? Sure enough, I got him to come to Las Vegas. They had odds, 40 to 1, that, that the sky would not show up. 40 to 1. And he was late, scared the shit out of me. And I was smart enough to know, <laughs> Mark, I was smart enough to know, like, this guy's working for me, but I'm not going to open. I'm, he's not going to open for me. Right. That's his show. I open for him. Uh -huh. I don't give a shit. I'm the one making the money, you know? Yeah. So um, so we did that, and I brought in entertainers. That, uh, a lot How of do fun. you do? How does, how does Sly do? 
fucked up the place, man. It was, uh, people were crying. He hadn't been on stage in, 20, in 25 years. His kids were going, see daddy. It was, it was so big that it was on the, on the billboards that I sold in New York, sliding the family stone, Las Vegas. That's, it's all documented. You can go online and pick it up right now. You can get George Wallace with sliding the family stone in Las Vegas. He came out on stage and he sang those old songs. He, like I said, he was 20 minutes late. Some people walking out, I knew this was bullshit. I knew he was show because he never showed up on time when he was back in the day when right. we were in college. Yeah. But people were walking out, I knew this was bullshit. Get the fuck out of it. They were walking out. But the few people that, the, the people that did stay, out of the 800, uh, yeah. only sold 500 tickets a night because I know I had to promote and give other tickets away. But he come out and he started singing and he had to get into it. And he started singing, if you want me to stay. And then he got into the other song, Dance and Higher. And all of a sudden, people were crying on top of the tables. It was stupid. He was only out there for 25 minutes. And they loved and I, it? And that was fine with me. That was fine with me. And I was on stage, that slide, that slide. And this guy was so good. He went around from the back of the house to the front of the house and he came down from the front of the house and came back on stage again. And it was amazing. So I, I, I love that. And I have all of this stuff documented. Maybe I should put it out. Some of the things I've done in, in, in Las Vegas. Who else? Uh, uh, Jennifer Holiday. Like I said, war. I had a group called, uh, a young group called um, Mosaic. Uh-huh. We're probably the most, and it's one of those new groups the kids sing without uh, music, but they make their own music and sound like a group. Yeah. And, and the, the place became a talent show, and they would come out, and they would be my opening act, and we'd have music on stage, and I started giving away shit. I wanted to be the black Oprah. I thought I was a rich black lady. Yeah. Giving away shit, giving away diamonds. I gave away a car. So you did this for 10 years? Yeah. I did it for 10 years until one night a, a friend of mine came on stage and said, all right, we've been here long enough, and uh, we're going to close down this year. So that was my best friend of 45 years. Who's that? So we tend to listen to each other. That's Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. That's Seinfeld, yeah. <laughs> so you, if you really look into it, like George on Seinfeld, that's actually pretty much me. I'm the one, I'm the one that was his real roommate for 13 years. Yeah. You lived so, with him for 13 years? Oh, yeah. We shared an apartment for 13 years, 129 West 81st Street, right there in New York City. Why for so long? Well, hell, we didn't make money that long. What do you mean? Well, why but I mean, so long? We, we, but you were both... Do, like you, is you were traveling around though, right? You weren't always yeah, there. Yeah, you're traveling same. around. He wasn't always making money. His ass was broke. Had yeah, yeah. So you just split and, the apartment, uh, and you you both you used it when you were in New York. Yeah, and then we were there quite a bit, but not a lot. You know, yeah. And, uh, I was best man in his wedding. I always uh-huh. like to throw this joke in too, and I'm the father of his kids. You know, so we're pretty close. You know, so, <laughs> so but uh, I, I wish everybody had a friend like Jerry. And like I said today, I'm surprised he hasn't interrupted this call. It's just good to have a friend like that. You know. So yeah, that's I, why I'm so blessed to have my best friend is the number one man making money in the comedy. So I look at it like this, Mark, and I take advantage of it. He, you know, he got a boat, he got a yacht, got a yacht. He got a jet, I got a jet. So we're just that close in friendship. So. Well, I'm glad you guys have the same toys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we've done some stupid stuff with the toys, you know, but, and life is good. Comedy is good too. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you. Are you uh, like, I can't wait to get back on stage, but I can wait. Yeah, I'm I'm okay. You know, I I've been uh, you know I do this I do I talk to a lot of people on this show, and uh, I've been doing the I I I the break hasn't been terrible. It's been terrifying, but it hasn't been terrible. Right, right. Now, wait, what is what's this book? You 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 put out a book of your tweets. I can't believe I'm talking to you. You know, the Twitter world became so big. I'm like two or three years late. I started like 2011. Yeah. And putting out jokes on those tweets, little online ramblings from bull my head. Bull twit and whatnot. Bull now, why bull twit? 
I yeah. wanted to say bullshit, but I said, oh, let's change it to bull twit. And whatnot, whatnot becomes such an interesting part. Whatnot is the biggest word in the world. That means I can do anything. Right. And whatnot. So it's not just not just tweets. It's, they're not tweets at all. I don't know what the fuck they are. Yeah, they're just right. online because they don't make sense to me. Because yeah. I got to do this in 140 characters. Right. You know, my jokes are not even structured, let alone 140 characters. So it's sort of little things uh, like, uh, and I, I waited for a while. Why should I do my jokes and give them away to people? And right. then hit me that, well, you know, there's 500 million tweets per day. And some of these people across the world, they're never going to get to see me. Yeah. So why don't I share some of these jokes with some of these people? Never, And it became so successful and people like it. And and it's like online ramblings on my head. And I do like stupid stuff like the top nine bell. Shout out to the top nine. Shout out to the top five bells in the world. So bells? just little things like yeah, you know, like Liberty Bell. Oh yeah. You know, uh, okay. Saved by the Bell. Yeah. Okay. And I go into uh, how many other bells and yeah. But yeah. but little things in the book. And the book is online and people are buying it like crazy. I'm already into my second printing. Bull twist. And you and you self published it. Yes, I did. Of course, I self and it, and the quality of the book is so good. And I'm doing stupid shit, Mark. This book you got your eyes on here is. Uh, I hope I put it up right for the bathroom. You put it and read it in the bathroom. No, you don't read this in the bathroom. You can, but it's a great coffee table. People buying the book sells for nineteen ninety five. But if you buy five books, five. I will charge you one hundred twenty dollars because okay. I do stupid shit like that. <laughs> yeah, and people okay. are falling for it. I have a hard copy here which I should have sent you. Did you get a copy of the book from me? I did not. Oh, my God. And yeah. uh, this hardcover, it's $140. Yeah, what happened, Mr. Promotion? Where's my fucking book? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's your fuck you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you'll get a book coming. I hope you get a chance to read it. I know we're so busy. People send us so much books and shit. We don't get to read everything, you know? I know, I know, but, I know. Uh, that's true, that's true. But you should get one because this is a good book. I'm getting ready to go into my second book uh, called More Bull Twit. But I, what I really wanted to write a book about, uh, Mark, was How Trump Fucked Up My Life. That, that's the book I wanted to write. What? And uh, Yeah, I wanted to write a book, and I should have done it six months ago, How Trump Fucked Up My Life. You know that guy? Let's, let's talk about it. Oh, my, I can't believe we haven't talked about it. Yesterday was like a relief. Like the, the, the black people say, I was born again in God. I don't know yeah. what happened yesterday. Like the stress off my shoulder was just crazy, man. For everybody, man. I, I felt so good. And yeah. I don't know what Biden has done today, but yesterday was so good to get just this, that, I call yeah. him a, a walking circus peanut, that orange fucker. I just, it's, it, he messed up my life romantically so, financially so, uh, mentally so, relationship-wise, my family. I can't go visit my family. It really screwed up my life. And, I, and I've been like a, confined here in this, in this condo in Atlanta since March. And Did I, you and ever I, know I, that guy? Did you ever work at his hotel? Did you ever meet him? I stayed in his hotel one time. When Jerry got married, he, everybody stayed at his hotel. Hmm. I, I don't like him. I, I had a chance to meet him one time when uh, uh, some friends of mine were on, uh, what's the name of his show? Apprentice. Apprentice, yeah. And I just never liked him. And I just, because... I, because I'm from New York, I live in New York, and I know yeah. we know bullshitters. And I knew. Yeah, he was I didn't want. I had, I did Conan once, and he was on with me, and and the segment producer asked me if I wanted to meet him, and I said no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so that's my know. magician friend's name out in uh in, in Las Vegas. The two guys. Uh, uh, oh, Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. So I went to support them in New York City to be at the at the finals. Yeah. And they say Trump is coming, and you want to meet? I said fuck no. 
Yeah. I don't even want to shake hands, but to get remember. And now Florida is the most fucked up state in America, right? Yeah. And now this idiot is down there, even more fucked up. Yeah, yeah. He's the he's the king of uh, he's the king of Florida. They don't want him down there, so they got to get rid of him. They yeah, got well, to get rid of this guy. It's it's nice to have him off our back. It was good talking to George. Did we do anything? Did I say anything, Mark? Yeah, I want to thank you for having me on the show. I I love talking to you. I I want you to call Jerry Seinfeld and tell him what a good time we had. <laughs> you actually told me to tell you hello. I know. Tell him hello. I'm serious. Okay. Okay. I'll yeah. Do that. We he, me and Jerry had we had a nice uh, we had a nice um, meeting of the minds. Me and Jerry. I know every meeting of the minds. I know everything comes down. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I need to thank you for having me. I don't know what I've ever been on with you before, and I know I heard so much about you, and I know you're so great, and I, I and I learn from guys like you. You don't know that, do you? No. I like watching other comedians and learning from younger comedians than myself. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because you guys are, you know, I'm old school, but you guys are, I have to go on to, to show you that I'm still kicking ass. I have to prove myself. Oh, no, I watch I, you. You got everything lands, man. You're punching away. They, you don't fuck around. It's, it's all coming down. That might be, I'm trying to change because when I, when I go on stage, I do go up there to work. I do go up there to kick ass. Yeah. And I, I work, I talk too fast and I need to calm down and just do half the material so what i'm gonna do when i do go back mark yeah. i got so much new material to talk about slow down yeah because i'm gonna slow down i'm gonna be a new me i want to talk about some things i didn't get a chance to talk about last year and but i mean I, it sounds like you you'll be loaded you'll be you'll be ready to go when this shit lifts i think so i keep saying i'm gonna have to have a new show but i'm gonna be ready to go and what i'm also gonna do mark some jokes I did 30 years ago that the young kids, maybe nobody remember, I'm going to bring them in as new jokes. They won't know the difference. Yeah, why not? It's time to recycle those fuckers. Recycle, yeah, because I did a joke. I got lots of jokes I could bring back, but I got so much new stuff. I enjoy doing the new jokes. I, really I think about I that, too. Have... Like There was a lot of jokes that I did before anybody knew who I was that were great jokes, and no one knows them. All you need to do is be funny. You deliver that joke. And that's what they're going to remember you by. Like, if they leave going, that guy was hilarious, that's okay. And if they leave going, like, I'm, I hope that guy's okay, that's okay. <laughs> as, long as, they, as long as they don't say he was pretty funny. I yeah. hate that Oh, one. yeah, or like, I don't I remember anything he said. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's pretty funny. You're pretty good. You're well, pretty you're, good. you're a pro. That, what does that mean? You're, you're one of the best, buddy. It's great talking to you. I wish you the best. Stay healthy. You got a deal. I'm going to stay healthy. I'm going to stay smart. I'm going to stay home. And I'm gonna stay black. How about that? I, I, okay. I believe you. <laughs> Take it easy, George. God bless you, man. See you. There you go. The book is. Go look at his Twitter feed. The book is uh, Bull Twit and Whatnot at GeorgeWallace.net. So, all right. Take care of yourselves. Seriously. Try to understand that most of us are in some sort of fairly deep PTSD, and uh, it's going to take a bit. It's a little daunting. It's a little weird. There's a space to it. It's a darkness to it still, and also a darkness to the reality we're living in, even though the monster's gone. All right? I'll play a little guitar here, a little dirty stuff. Okay.
Boomer lives. Monkey. La Fonda. Cat angels everywhere. Right? <laughs>